for Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, when state officials wanted to build a one-stop shop for coronavirus data, they didn't give that job to the Georgia Department of Public Health. They gave it to a private company. Do you expect your state agencies to have the answers to all of the questions? No, I think we expect agencies to work together collaboratively for the public good. Karen Landman, a doctor and freelance journalist here in Atlanta, joins me to discuss the story behind Georgia's troubled COVID-19 data dashboard. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Georgia's COVID-19 data dashboard, which has been plagued with issues since it first launched, wasn't actually built by the state's public health agency. That job was given to a private company that didn't always take input from state public health officials. So says reporter Karen Landman in Atlanta Magazine. She's with me now to discuss what she found out about how the dashboard came to be after digging through thousands of emails from state officials. Karen, thanks for talking with me. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. So I want to start by going back in time a little bit to the spring. This is when the Georgia Department of Public Health launched its data dashboard, which many of our listeners probably know very well by now. It wasn't a great launch. There were lots of bumps when this page first went live. Just kind of take us back in time to what that launch looked like. Where were we in the pandemic and and, and what were some of the problems that people noticed with this web page? So... People outside of the government probably just saw one website that went through a variety of dramatic changes over the course of the spring and early summer. Behind the scenes, what was actually happening was this. The state health department, when cases of COVID started to grow in Georgia, began throwing data up onto their website. It was pretty basic data with pretty basic visualizations at first. While the Department of Health was maintaining that website, the Office of Planning and Budget was working in collaboration with a third-party consultant, a a private company called SAS, to create a different website to display the state's COVID data called a, a data dashboard. And the Department of Health was really minimally involved in that process, but the goal was for that to reflect 
and visualize the data that the health department was collecting. So that data dashboard was unveiled at the very end of April, and it uh, immediately had quite a few problems. And it looked very different from what the health department had. Um, in addition to being more complex, it had a, a different colored background, a blue background, had lots of maps, more charts. And unfortunately, it was also missing a lot of information that people in the general public were using to construct their own picture of what was going on in Georgia. Late April was kind of a crucial time here in Georgia. People may remember, this is just as the governor announced he was going to be lifting some of the shelter-in-place restrictions that had been previously put in place. So this was a real kind of inflection point for the pandemic in the state as the state launches this new dashboard. Yeah, Sam, I'm glad you mentioned that that's the point that the governor reopened the state because it seemed to really not be a decision supported by the data to folks who were following the trends during this pandemic. The data that we had at this time showed cases increasing up to two to three weeks before the current date and then decreasing. But that doesn't mean cases were actually decreasing. You know, what we've learned and what we actually knew at that point was that at any given moment, a day's pandemic-related data, the number of cases we knew about, were two to three weeks out of date. When um, Governor Kemp made the announcement that he was reopening the state, he cited a decreasing trend in cases, but that wasn't really a real trend. That was just a feature of the way these data uh, look at any given moment. So that was a concern to a lot of people uh, that, that this really at the end of April, it didn't really represent an inflection point in the actual pandemic in actual cases, but it did represent an inflection point in policy. Obviously, you know, this state started reopening a lot of its businesses during that time. So that was to many folks in public health, you know, watching this happen from the outside, that really seemed to be in conflict with good public health practice. And this is happening while the state launches this new website, which has a litany of things maybe we can say that could be better about it. Walk us through kind of what some of those early gaps were on this webpage. What were people seeing that didn't make sense to them? Yeah, I think some of the things that people noticed the most were that data that they had used had disappeared. A lot of this was sort of subcategorization of certain important facets of the pandemic by, say, age or race. But there were also some really high-profile things that caught the nation's attention. There's one graph in particular that seemed at first glance to show cases decreasing over time until you looked carefully at the x-axis, meaning the bottom line of the graph, and saw that the dates were actually out of order. Now, a lot of folks looking from the outside thought this was a nefariously intended graph. I don't have the evidence to support that. And in fact, some folks who know the software used to make it well tell me that it's it could very well be just a result of a default setting that was missed. But I think what it communicated to folks in the community was that the people publishing this information are not looking carefully at how it affects the way people are understanding the pandemic, the decisions people are making, it led to so much concern about the trustworthiness of whoever was creating the dashboard that I think it caused a lot of people to really look at whatever came afterward with a lot of questions in their mind about whether they could trust it. 
This gets to really how this website was set up. So this is an asset that is published on the Georgia Department of Public Health website, but it's actually not the Georgia Department of Public Health who has created this dashboard and who really has a lot of input here. So walk me through how this page was actually set up, who was actually in control of it. Yeah. So in the emails that I obtained, what we see is that beginning in March, a group of consultants at SAS, which is a software and consulting uh, analytics consulting company based in North Carolina, began receiving data sets on a regular basis uh, from the Department of Health. But it appears that they were working with OPB, the Governor's Office of Planning and Budget, on what the product of their work should look like. So they, they began putting together a dashboard. They were asked to use a template that looked like uh, something some other states had used. And then it seemed like they were communicating really mostly with OPB about what the dashboard that they were making should look like. There are occasional communications that I found between SAS and members of the health department staff on issues around receiving data sets, but really very, very limited communication that I saw from the health department about what the resulting dashboard should look like. And so what that says to me is, and what folks in the health department actually said themselves in emails was the health department really didn't have much control over the construction of this dashboard. It was folks at SAS with input from folks at the governor's office of planning and budget who were really determining how this should look and what should be on it. From what you found in your you know, records requests and, and emails you obtained, how did folks at DPH handle being really the targets here of criticism for a website they didn't have a lot of control over? It really seems from some of the emails that there was frustration. At one point, the director of communications for the health department, Nancy Nidham, directly said that if they don't address some of the complaints they were getting from constituents, that the health department was going to get dragged through the dirt for something that it hadn't done. And that's exactly what we saw happening over the course of May and midsummer was the health department getting blamed for mistakes turning up on the data dashboard that they actually had very little to do with, uh, with one notable exception, the issue of including serology tests in with PCR tests. It's a, it seems like a technicality, but it's one that was out of sync with CDC recommendations. And that was an error on the part of the health department. But for the most part, a lot of the issues that got a lot of attention were not the health department's fault. And, and this is despite their efforts to actually exert a little bit of control, the Department of Public Health. Talk to me about what, what you found that they actually tried to influence and kind of their ability to do so. At the same time that SAS was working on their dashboard, there were folks at the health department who had noticed that a much smaller agency, not even really an agency, a program within the Department of Community Affairs called the GIO, the Georgia Geospatial Information Office, that they had put together some really neat, smooth, elegant, interactive dashboards that were being used internally by the government to decide where to allocate certain resources, what the bed capacity in certain parts of the state were. They couldn't make these dashboards public at that time because of some pushback from a variety of parties involved. But the health department felt that those dashboards just looked so much better than what they had up at the time. And this was before it became clear that the SAS dashboard was really going to take over the website. 
So folks at the health department actually initiated a collaboration with folks at the GIO to try and get the health department's data into one of these pretty smooth, elegant dashboards. And at what point they actually had a really nice prototype that they thought they might be able to put on the health department's website. For reasons that are not totally clear to me from the emails, that did not happen. And what we saw on the health department's dashboard over the course of the summer was the product of SAS's work. Later on in the summer, slowly and without a whole lot of fanfare, that uh, dashboard created by the geospatial office did turn up. It was used first, it replaced uh, GEMA's daily update. And now if you look at it, it actually does contain a lot of the information that's on the SAS dashboard on the DPH website. But it's a little odd to me that, you know, we have this information in two separate places. It also, looking at the pace at which it was developed and the kinds of issues that folks were having with that dashboard, with that GIO dashboard early on, it just seemed to have a lot fewer problems and seemed to come together much more quickly than the SAS dashboard did. But I can't say that with a high degree of certainty because, you know, I'm only looking at emails that are a fraction of the story of of what really happened. But that was my impression. Uh, Do you have any sense from the emails you obtained from your reporting why DPH was kind of cut out of the loop here? You know, Sam, I don't. And I wish I did. And I'm very, very curious, as I'm sure many readers are, about why things unfolded this way. What I can say is that SAS's relationship with the governor's office predated the pandemic. The contract that the governor's office had with this company was signed in August of 2019. And ostensibly, it was signed to facilitate some other data analysis work related to the governor's priorities. But it's unclear to me why they were given the responsibility of doing this particular job for the governor's office when there were multiple folks and agencies within the governor's office that had a really high level of expertise and even more than that, a familiarity with the data and with its problems that would have potentially made their role in the production of this dashboard if they'd had full control of it, you know, a really productive one and would have made the process quite a bit smoother. So I just don't understand yet why this job was given to SAS. But I can say that You know, it's possible that because there already was a mechanism for sending them data, for having them do analyses like this, that it seemed like they might be the easiest choice for the governor's office to uh, delegate this to. But I cannot say that for sure. This gets me to what some of the parties in this story, DPH, the governor's office, SAS, um, have had to say about your reporting. I, I know you reached out to them. What have they had to say about your work here? They responded with deflection. <laughs> the governor's office asked that we direct all questions to the DPH, and um, the DPH would not make anyone from the health department available for interview and would not answer questions in a written format. Do we know enough about how this unfolded to really ascribe intent to any party here? It wasn't uncommon as these errors were discovered for people to very quickly say, oh, well, this is someone trying to cook the books. Do we know that that was happening here? 
We don't. We don't have the evidence to support that. And I agree that I heard many, many people immediately jump to the conclusion that the shenanigans we were seeing on the website were a consequence of nefarious intent. But I also spoke with several data scientists who said, look, this looks more like the product of an overwhelmed, understaffed, perhaps undertrained group of folks than it does nefarious intent, especially that one graph with the bars out of chronological order on the x-axis. You know, there, there are some other decisions made by the governor's office during this pandemic that really make people wonder if their best interests are at the core of what's driving policymaking and decision-making in that office. I think one of the things that caught a lot of folks' attention and really made them suspicious of decision-making and and the motives for decisions made was the battle uh, that unfolded around mask mandates that were being issued at a, a local level by mayors of cities that were having huge increases in cases. So when the governor's office fought hard against the mask mandate in Atlanta, that sent a message to a lot of folks in the community that the decisions being made in the governor's office might be more about control or something else than they were about really protecting people's health. So I think their suspicion then extended to anything else that they saw the governor's office do related to the pandemic, including, you know, the potential for their involvement in controlling what turned up on the dashboard. So I don't blame people for feeling suspicious or, you know, at a minimum curious about what drove some of the problems with the dashboard or some of the decisions to include or not include certain information. But I do not have proof of any motivation and certainly not of any nefarious motivation behind some of the errors and problems that we saw on that dashboard. Provable intent or not, this is still the kind of issue that undermines, I would imagine, people's trust in the information they're getting from their public officials, their public health officials. That's something that you talked with public health experts about, just kind of the overall impact that this kind of bumpy rollout has. That's right, Sam. And it's not just the state health department's credibility that is impacted by this, although that definitely happened. I spoke with several district health officials, meaning folks who work for the state's public health establishment outside of uh, Atlanta and the Atlanta, metro Atlanta area. And um, I spoke with them off the record, but I can say that they really fear that the impact on DPH's relationship with the community that resulted from all of these mistakes with the website will really are already affecting some of their ability to provide care in other areas. You know, health departments provide tuberculosis care. They provide sexually transmitted disease care. And if they can't have a trusting relationship with their communities, their ability to execute on those programs is is impacted. You know, their ability to engage people in public messaging around 
um, other public health issues, including around the rollout of a vaccine to prevent COVID-19, can really suffer. So that's, I think, one of the greatest concerns that I have about the impact of these problems. It's not that it's embarrassing or that it reflects, you know, a power struggle at the top. Those things are annoying. <laughs> you know, those things are are juicy, maybe, but they're not really human tragedy. What is human tragedy is when the people who depend on the health department for really important management of issues related to their own personal health, and these people are often not those who have the most resources, when those people cannot feel they can depend on the health department for those things anymore, that's when we really have a problem. Is this kind of scrutiny fair, understanding that this is a new situation, no one has dealt with this before, and this is a real tremendous ask of public health, of our state leaders to actually do this and do it well at the same time? I guess it depends what your expectation is. I mean, do you expect your governor's office and your health department and all your other state agencies to have the answers to all of the questions and to know exactly what to do, especially in the presence of inadequate funding, you know, part of a huge pattern of sort of structural decimation of public health over the past few decades. No, most of us don't have that expectation. These are the most unprecedentedest of unprecedented times. But that's not what I think most of us really expect. I think we expect agencies to work together collaboratively for the public good and to keep the public informed in a transparent and timely manner. And Failing on those counts is inexcusable because those are not problems that arise because of poor planning or because of poor funding. Those problems are a result of uh, a management style. And that is something that can be uh, changed. And it is something that we can reasonably expect our leadership to have the maturity and insight to work on and to prioritize during a time of crisis. So yeah, I think it is a fair expectation to want our leaders to work together well, to use the strengths of the agencies and the structures that are in place, and to keep us posted on what they're doing in a way that does not create suspicion and distrust, but creates common purpose and harmony. Nobody's gotten this exactly right, but positive collaborative relationships among our leadership are really the gold standard and, and should be something that everyone in every state can expect. Karen Landman is a doctor and freelance reporter here in Atlanta. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands I'm Sam Whitehead. 
Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.